Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Yeah, I, I come from Visalia. Like Tom said, I run the, the high school and then the college age ministry, which is our gap year. It's like a full-time discipleship program. And that's uh, a lot of the people in here, the young people, uh, came with me. And we are here for you. And, and um, just a little bit about me. I'm, I have a wife named Vanessa. She can't be here because we have four little kids, six, four, three, two. That's not a count off to dance. That's the ages of my kids. And, and uh, it's a full-time job at home. And so uh, we could not find coverage, which is hard to do. She wishes she could be here. She says hi. Um, but yeah, I'll uh, get into it because what I want to do is I don't, I don't really want to give a, a teaching because um, I think we have a lot of teaching. I just, I want to actually just pray for people that want prayer this morning Um, the teaching will set that up. So I do think that some of the things I'm going to discuss are going to be helpful uh, in that you're going to look at the world in a way now it's going to make sense why people might be acting and behaving as they do. And it'll help you love them um, and it'll also help you understand where you're at and kind of where you need to get to know God and to change, which is always helpful. Anytime I see that, I'm excited because I want to know God and I want to change. It'd be horrific if I stayed the same the whole time. <laughs> oh my gosh, same patterns. So love breaking out and, and changing and being more freed up. So let's get right to it. Um, let me just pray. Father, I ask that your spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of you would be poured out on us this morning. I don't want, Lord, words and information. I want something that's coming from your throne that's entering into our minds and our hearts. So help me, Lord, to not get in the way of that. Please, it says in your scripture that we actually don't need anyone to teach us, but the anointing teaches us. The Holy Spirit teaches us. So, would you be the teacher this morning? Amen. So we, we were praying for you as, a, as Gap Year. We, we do worship and prayer three times a week. And um, for, for about an hour, an hour and a half each time. And, and so the last two times that I got to lead that, we prayed for the church here. Let's just see what God wants to say to San Francisco. And so I, I kind of have to tell a little bit of this story so that you understand how I get this image I'm about to throw up there in just a second. Um, we were praying, and it just became evident through many pictures um, that God wanted to talk about identity. And this is, you know, kind of like a main topic. Um, but there's something that God is emphasizing about it. And... And one of our students who's not here right now got a picture of a compass rose. Can you put that up there? 
And right when he said that, I didn't even know what a compass rose was, but I was so excited when he said it. It's like, well, tell me what a compass rose is. And then <clears throat> he said, it's this. And I was like, yes! I just knew this was the Lord. I mean, you could, it was like I was dancing, partly because rose was already a key word that we were praying uh, about. But God wants to give you guys this this morning, and I'm going to explain this. And, and um, I've heard that you guys have a, kind of a prophetic analogy about this church being like a boat or a ship. And this would be very important for you to have as you take your boat out under the waters. I think it's going to be very helpful for you and for the world that you're sailing in. Um, so, this picture is, is basically a symbol of identity and direction. Who you are determines where you're going. Your identity determines your direction. So this is a compass rose. And what a compass rose is, it's a figure on a compass map or a nautical chart used to display the orientation of the cardinal directions. Without your identity, you don't, you're not oriented and you don't have any direction. Your identity determines your direction. So that's where we're going, and now let's start the journey. The problem uh, in the Western world, and unfortunately even in the Western church, is that we are, we are lost in this worldview of searching for meaning and identity inward. For a few hundred years we've been in this. It's affecting us. It, it affects even us Christians. We, we are pulled by the winds and doctrines of this world pushed and blown around and, and, and so forcefully that we're influenced by this all the time. We are taught and trained to f- search ourselves for meaning and purpose. It's in the ads. like the th- We see like a thousand ads a day, but it's we, we see it all the time. It's being communicated to us over and over again. It's shaping us, and we don't know it. We're, we're usually pretty passive in the way that we're, you know, we're driving along or we're walking through life. We're, our minds are usually pretty passive, and the world is not passive. It's shaping you. It's shaping you. It's teaching you to, as the, you know, the Jedi say, search your feelings. You'll find that it's true. I mean, I love Star Wars, but man, every time they say that, I'm like, ooh, God, let it not be so, but search your feelings. So basically, what we, what we have been taught is that our inner thought life and our feelings should be exalted to the highest place of authority. It should, define, it should be in charge of defining you and, and meaning. And it's been radically individualized so that we're kind of the main authority. And that has shaped everyone in this room. We are all under this. We've all been drinking this Kool-Aid since we've been in the school system. And now here we are. And it hasn't been happening as of late. As of late, it's been super intensified. You know, since 2020, it's like everything has been in bold. But this has been around and growing for hundreds of years. And now it's at a tipping point. 
So humans have decided that if they look within themselves, they will eventually discover their true self. And then that would display their orientation and purpose. And I know that when I say the word orientation, you, you think of a specific group of people, the LGBTQ community. They talk a lot about orientation and all that. But we've all done this. We're, we're all, we've all drank this Kool-Aid, like I said, and have looked within and decided through the journey of self-discovery what we are and who we are and where we're going. And this, this has been devastating for the world. In fact, we're at the tipping point. We're at a moment where we're starting to realize this isn't working. All facets of life, the, the secular story that I'm going to be talking about later in the sermon is, is starting to not work out. It's starting to fall apart. The world's anxious. Nothing is, there's no answers anywhere. We thought we had this right. We thought that this would work out. We thought that this journey inward would be the answer and we'd find ourselves. And all we're finding is chaos, confusion, fear, mental health issues. I don't know. I don't even want to keep listing things because it's all negative. And we're waking up as a world and saying, what have we done? Like, this isn't working anymore. So that's where we're at. People... They are living, uh, a lot of people are living as other people because that we, have not, we have not asked what God is thinking as much as we should. We have not pressed into Him. And so a lot of people, even in the church, have been fooled by this search in, inward, discover meaning, and, and they have not been given the gift or sought out the gift of what God's thinking, what He's saying. So they're living other people's lives. They're not satisfied They've missed their calling or they, they need to get back on track, but they've missed their upward calling in God. So when Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. If you want to go to Galatians 2.20, yeah. Um, sorry, slides, I didn't put it up on there, but why don't you just go, it's just one verse. So Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live and in the flesh, I live in, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When he's, when he's saying this, he's showing us that his identity is actually determined by someone else, like an outside source. Even though Christ now is in him, it's, it's Christ who determines my identity. Yeah. And so he's showing us that it's someone else and then this identity actually determines the direction of his life. So he, he died. His, his self-discovery journey ended a long time ago. There has been something determined for him that he did not come up with. There is an identity that he did not come up with that is now him. And there's a direction for his life that wasn't created by him. And he's trying to catch up with it. In fact, he's always reaching forward. Forgetting what lies behind, he's keeping his eyes on the call, the upward call of God. And this is the, this is the life that we want to leave. When I read Philippians, I'm just quoting Philippians, I'm like, I want that! I want to live a life where I'm considering all things lost. Oh, get this out of here. I want more of Christ and, and Him and His calling. And, I, and it starts with knowing who you are and where you're going. 
When you know who you are, you know what you are to do. When God speaks identity in your heart, there comes, uh, there comes within it, he'll, he'll speak identity, but within that, there's a calling and assignments. This is, this is really exciting right now. What I'm about to talk about is really exciting, and, and, and you can see it in Jesus' life. But when God says a word over you, and it, it, he's speaking identity in you, in this word, if you start meditating on it, sifting apart, asking God, there's like specific details in there that determine what you should do. It's like a seed. It's like, this is who you are. And then it grows into something and it manifests a certain way. And, and I'm like, I'm kind of a little nervous. I'm like, how long have we been in this search inward dream and need to wake up and be like, God, what am I to do with my life? Like, who am I? And really press into that and really believe that he has something for me. Okay, let's see how this works where, where God will speak identity. He'll say, this is who you are. And within that, if you take it apart, there's, there's detailed ways it will manifest. Is this making sense? I'm trying to describe something I can sense and feel. I'm trying to put it into words. So if it's not making sense, I'll try to say it a different way. But let's go to Jesus' baptism. This is an easy place to see God speaking identity, right? So Jesus is baptized. I'm using out of Mark. Um, I didn't put the address, but it's probably in the first chapter of Mark. Mark's really short. It's easy to find stuff in Mark. Jesus gets baptized. Heavens are open. Dove ascends. And the Father speaks identity over his son. He says, you are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Man, that's awesome. If we could hear God audibly say that, and he is saying that to us through his spirit, but audibly, boom. This is more, this is more than God just affirming his identity and making him feel secure as a son, which I don't know how much Jesus needs to feel secure as a son. I think he knows, but, but we need that. This is more than, than him being secure in the father. That's happening, man. That's great. But there's assignment in it. There's an assignment in it. There's a direction in it. And this is what it looks like. So when God says, beloved son, that's not just the, I love you so much, you're my, you know, you're my son, you're my boy. That is that. But he's also alluding to the language in Genesis when Abraham speaks of his son that he loves. This is my son that I'm loving. And your mind actually should be trained, if you know your scriptures, to go there like, oh, I've heard that before. And, it's, and, and in this situation, God asks Abraham to take his beloved son and to sacrifice him on a, on a hill. So Isaac actually carried the wood up the hill to be sacrificed. Thankfully, God provided. He didn't, that didn't happen. But in that, in that, there was an assignment. Perhaps Jesus is going to carry wood up a hill and be sacrificed. See, there's, there's a seed. He's speaking a seed, and something is growing. It's going to manifest a certain way. He, God is declaring who he is. And, and if you search deeper, there's even a direction of what what Jesus is going to do. So this is, there's, there's another part of it too, in whom I'm well pleased. And this is really cool. This is actually language from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. This is the servant in whom God's well pleased. And if you read, every time the servant appears on the scene in, in the book of Isaiah, he's bringing justice and light to the nations. He is um, delivering the oppressed and he's dying 
uh, for sin, and he's resurrected. And so, just by God saying, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, there's this destiny attached to it. You're going to be the sacrifice of the whole world, forgiving many for sins, and you're going to be resurrected. Clear direction. So when Jesus, in Luke 4, grabs the, um, the scroll, and he goes to Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he says this, that's me. That's who I am. And that's what I came to do. He knew who he was. And he knew what he came to do. And then this assignment, I'm coming to break, you know, open the prison door, set the captives free, the blind. It, ha- it manifests in a very specific way. There's specific assignments even in that day. And after he does this, he rolls up the scroll, he goes outside, he just starts healing people, yeah. setting people free. A blind person, boop, sight. A lame person, walking. People oppressed by the demonic, by illnesses, are now walking out of prison doors. He's doing it. So this isn't just true for Jesus' life. So he's like the model. He's the one who ultimately fulfills you know, the scripture. We're not, we're not Jesus, but we are called to be like him, and he is an example And before I move on to us, it's even true in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is one of my favorite uh, characters. Um, He was questioned too by the Levites and the priests, or the the Jews and the Levites came to him asking asking him because he was baptizing so many people. He's calling people to repentance. They're like, what is this guy doing? Why is he on this assignment? Why did he come here? And they came to him and they said, are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Why are you doing this? And he says, no, not the Christ, not Elijah, not the prophet. He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. I am the voice. I mean, I feel like if I were John the Baptist, that's how I would say it. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness because he's kind of weird and he's eating, you know, he's wearing, he's out there in the wilderness and he's a prophet. I would totally do it like that, especially if I was wearing camel hair and all that. But I am the voice. And, it, and you can just feel the fire in his heart when he's saying this. No, I'm not the Christ. No, I'm not Elijah. No, I'm not the prophet. I am the voice. Oh, don't you want to live like that? Who are you? I am the voice. of one crying in the wilderness. I wonder how many times John in, in his sanctuary out in the wilderness is having quiet times. And, and the father is saying, I love you, John, so much. You're the voice. He's like, ah, I'm the voice. I'm the voice. He is, he is a, you know, we're, we're the children of God. That's like our primary foundational identity. But man, he also is saying, you're the voice. He's like putting that on you. Like, that's your identity. You're the voice of one crying out. And John is just sitting there, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. He's probably rehearsed it. Finally, the time came and he got to say it. And he was, he was the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight paths for the Lord. He's coming. And so he just took that to everything. He was designed to do that. So that even led him to his death. He was going to the crooked place and saying, that needs to be straight. He was looking at Herod. Who cares what position you have? It's unlawful for you to marry your brother's wife. 
make straight the paths. Like, that's just what he did, and it got him killed. But he didn't, he wasn't going to stop. That's who he was. He didn't change who he was. He was, he was with the Father, like, I am the voice of one. I, I don't know. I just feel like he knew who he was, and he came to do what he was designed to do. And that's why he's in Scripture. He's one of those faithful witnesses. So that's true about Jesus and John the Baptist. And now, you know, the bar is pretty high. Those are pretty great men there. Yep. Um, But what about us? There's actually a book God has written about who you are. We see it a few times in Scripture. Um, there's a story written for each of you. God has like a destiny like for you. He, he, he's like, he named you before he knitted you together in your mom's womb. He, he named you. He had a name for you. And that name, remember, is like a seed. It's like, it's like a program. Like he, he said, this is who you are. And then it, as it waters unfold, you know, it's like manifests in a certain direction. But we've lost, we've lost it. And, and we want to get this back. So it's, it's, and it's never too late, to, um, it's never too late to, to enter back into this. Like, don't, don't feel like if you've lived your life and you're like, you're thinking, man, I, I missed it. No, it's, it's not. It's like a recalculating thing. You can get right back into it. And, and plus, you're only, you're only alive on this fallen world for 60, 90 years. There's billions of years that you're living that, that your identity will manifest through. So you didn't miss anything. We just, we're just starting. So I want to I read Psalm 139, and I want to um, borrow Psalm 139 from the Inner Healing Ministry and, and read it. Um, we use this verse a lot to speak, to bring healing to people. That's why I said that. But I want to also think of this in the category of direction, and, and destiny. So, Psalm 139. You've searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. He's, he, know, he knows how He designed you. He, he knows how you're programmed. He's very familiar. He's, oh, he's going to react like this this morning because he's going to... Like, he just knows you so well. He's designed you. He formed you. I'm getting ahead of myself. Before the, the word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in and behind and before... And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Pay attention to that. Your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. I want you to think... When I read this, you know who I automatically think of? If I take the wings in the morning, if I run away. You know who I think of? I think of Jonah. Jonah took the wings in the morning and he sailed to the other. He was trying to get way, he, you know, God said, hey, go this way to Nineveh. He went the other way. He was like trying to sail to Spain. I don't even think they knew what Spain was back. He was going there though. 
He was going the opposite. And he took the wings in the morning and he, and he got in the boat and he said, I'm running away from the call. And then Jonah discovered the truth in Psalm 139. Even there your hand will guide me. And so if you've ran away from the call, God will bring you back. He's probably bringing some of you back right now. You took the wings of the morning and you said, I'm done. And for 30 years, 20 years, you sailed to the other parts of the sea. But right now his hand is guiding you. You will go to Nineveh and preach the message, so to speak. God will have, have his way in you. And then if I say, surely darkness will hide me and the light be, um, become night around me. Even the darkness will be dark to you. I'm thinking of the, the, when he's in the belly of the well. I don't know why. I just feel like Jonah got in there and said, can I change what David said right here and just write it? Then here we go, verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know them, or I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would, be outnum- they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. So this is a lot of intimacy. This is a lot of, a lot of God is close and he knows, knows me. That, that brings healing and security to my heart. But there's also, there's a book written about you. You're programmed. I designed you. I knitted you together. I, he, he, he's familiar with all your ways. It's because he, he designed you a certain way. And he was there uh, before your... He had, the, he had thoughts about you before he took his hands and started making you. You're, you're programmed a certain way. And, and he wrote... It's like he wrote it all down. I mean, it's so cool that we have computers as analogy because this is almost the best one that we have so far that he wrote this stuff all down and and it's supposed to manifest it's supposed to make itself known and and that's well let me not get ahead of myself man like who are you how are you made can you know that can god reveal that to you is that real or is that something we just tell ourselves in church to make our lives feel easier is this real? Is there a real book about you? Did, is, is God writing a, a destiny for you? Is this real? Let's, let's, let's really grapple with that. Don't just say, yeah, identities in Christ. Amen, brother. No, what does that even mean? My identities in Christ? That should scare us. That's crazy. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me. That trips me out. So part of, what, part of what I'm doing is like the teaching is cool, right? You know, but I'm trying to, I'm yelling a little bit because I want you to go to your journal. I want you to be stirred up. I'm, I'm using a little bit of like, come on! Because we need to be jolted out of this, you know, I've heard that song before, mentality. 
No, you didn't. You've never heard this song. Have you done this? Anyway, there's a book. There's millions of thoughts God has toward you. Millions of thoughts God has toward you. I wonder, David's like, oh, he's sitting there writing that. Wow, from my mind, you're bringing forth a kingdom that can't be broken. Oh, I'm going to build a house for you. I mean, he's just, David's like caught up in this story. From my line, there's going to be a king that reigns forever. I don't even think he really understood that. So there's this little um, battle between, I think, these two guys that really loved each other. Um, very smart people, but A.W. Tozer and C.S. Lewis, they're contemporaries, right? I think I read somewhere that one of them, I should know this, but the battle, you know. So A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about us is what we think about God. Man, yes. I don't want to say that's not true. I, I think that that's true. C.S. Lewis, though, challenged that a little bit. And in The Weight of Glory, a book he wrote, he said, how God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important. Indeed, how we think of him is of no importance, he's getting pretty intense here, <laughs> except in so far as it is related to how he thinks of us. So he flips it. He said, it's important. Or no, he said, no, it's not important. I think he, I don't know. I think they're arm wrestling a little bit, but... He's, he's really being intense here. He's saying how God thinks of you is the most important thing in life. What does God think of you? And, and I think that, I think C.S. Lewis's intensity is needed because we have to be jolted out of this thing. I keep saying the word jolted. Get out of this, this pattern of, of searching inward and self-discovery. I think we're very trapped in that. And I think we really need to get on our knees and say, God, what do you think about me? And get revelation. And, and really believe that something else tells me who I am. Really believe it. Really get down with your journal and really journal stuff. Really pray about it. I mean, Tom has like a page. Don't you have pages of prophetic words? That's why I even got, came over here. Tom came over here because he, he has a book written about him. And, and there's faithful prophets and prophetic people that would give words and this would confirm this and this would confirm that. He has docu- He took it seriously. Docu- you know, if he never documented it, I don't think he would have came over here. If you don't remember that one word that tied up with this word that confirmed this and it's all together. 100% I don't think, honestly. So... Write down even little whispers. I, I have things, I, I wrote, okay, just an example. This is, I like the subtle ones too that aren't like the major, whoa. But I, I was praying about Gen Z and, you know, the camps that we run. And, and I felt like God had this word. It was like exporting fire. I was like, oh, I'm going to write that on the board. Exporting fire. You know, I was trying to come up with a theme for, uh, you know, our New Day camp. Exporting fire. I wrote it down. It had nothing to do. It had nothing. There's no... Uh, later on, you know, we had a theme that was, had nothing to do with exporting fire. I mean, in that, you know, in an overt way. Oh, man. This is even more to the story, but I just got to be simple here. But I'm getting prayer. Fast forward, you know, to maybe last week. So this is months and months and months and months later. I forget about the exporting 
um, fire thing that I wrote down. But when I write it down, you know, you remember things. When you, when you write them down, you remember them. So I wrote it down, and then I just had someone pray for me. I was at the altar wanting to be filled with the Spirit. And, and Eric, my friend, just began to pray for me. And he says the word, exporting fire. And I'm like, oh. Who says exporting fire, you know? <laughs> and and God, is, God is telling me, Danny, those little whispers are real. And how sad those little whispers that we've just... They're as numerous as the sands of the seashore, but they're way more valuable. And I think we throw them down with the sand. Man, you know what's funny is when I'm, when I'm preaching, I'm actually preaching myself and I'm feeling convicted about things. And so you'll see me go, oh, uh-oh. And that, that's really happening. I can't really hide my expressions. It's like a, an ability I don't have. So just know that sometimes if I look troubled, it's because God's <laughs> speaking to me. <laughs> All right, we're, we're moving slow here. It's my fault. I got to get I got to get to something that I feel like is re- going to be really helpful. So, um, that's the primary. That's the first and primary thing that God defines you. God defines you. Know that this is an external, outside source. You cannot search within. You will only find chaos and hopelessness if you search within. I believe God in this hour. For, seriously. He wants to pour out in great measure this revelation. Like it's almost like he wants us to rediscover this idea, this, this truth that he's the one who defines us. And we're living in an hour where it's not working when we search within. And we're at a tipping point and God knows it. And he's going, see there, it's falling over. Just like that idol that always falls over. And it's about to fall. And now God is going to say, okay, church, you ready? And he's going to give us his thoughts towards us. I think, I think we're ripe in a moment. I want, I want you guys in your journal. What do you want? You know, who, and not just individual. Do the individual thing because that's important, but also do the who are we uh, sanctuary church. What are we, if we're planted here, how is that supposed to manifest? What's our identity as a church? And I love the mission statement, find sanctuary, be sanctuary, express sanctuary. What's in that? Search that out. Don't just be like, oh, that's great. Really pray. What does it mean to express sanctuary? And just maybe ask God, sanctuary, expressing sanctuary. Write down some ideas. What if he's giving divine revelation? Because searching within isn't working. The world's falling apart. We need something better. We need better answers. He might have a few of them. <laughs> so, this, this is where we're going to end here. The last thing, the, the secondary thing, is it, so the first thing is that God defines you. He's the outside source. There's another outside source that defines you. It's the story that you're living in. And this is very important. Story is so important. Facts, nobody cares about them anymore. But facts didn't, don't care about my feelings. So why should I care about them? Anyway, that's a joke. So um, well, that was funny. I feel like if I'd have told that to a different crowd, that would have been, if I'd have told where I was from, people would be like, ah, that's right. Okay, so. Um, facts aren't really convincing people. It's story that's convincing people. Facts are important, but right now, story is so important. And like I said, we've been living under a story that's been shaping us. And I want to kind of put that story onto a chart so you can see it kind of clearly. Um, 
the story that has been shaping the West is, is it's like a secular humanist story. And, and I got this chart from uh, a man named Mark Sayers. His charts are the best. Look at Mark Sayers. His charts, you can have great conversations because of his charts. So Mark Sayers has this chart. And, and this is, I, um, this is the biblical, oh wait, go to the biblical one real fast. Okay, um, this is basically the storyline of the Bible, okay? You have creation slash Eden right there at the beginning. We were created. We were, he created us. We existed in Eden, um, un- naked and unashamed, perfect union with God and each other. Then there was a fall. There was something that happened that went wrong. Sin entered the world through disobedience. You know, we bit the fruit. Um, and we seek to be as God. You know, we, we, we sin by breaking his command and we want to be as God, causing us to be alienated from God and each other. That's, that's what happened. That's, that's what's wrong with the world. And, you know, sin, sin is us breaking God's commands and, and living as God. Salvation, though, in our biblical worldview storyline, is that Christ came to solve this problem. Now we have the answer. Now he's, he's paid for sin. God became a man, paid for sin. Now we're welcomed back into the Garden of Eden in relationship and union with each other and him forever. And he is in the process of redeeming the earth and spreading that message everywhere. And the end goal is him returning to the earth once and for all, remove all sin and corruption so that his people can live with God in perfect paradise and harmony again. That's, that's our storyline. That's our, that's our grand narrative that we need to live under. And th- this needs to be this needs to be the main story that we live under. And um, what's interesting about the worldview or the storyline that we're living under in the West is that it has the same schema. It has the same things. It's just they've, they've erased the content of the biblical worldview and put their own in as they search for meeting. So go to the secular one. So now, and it's very individualized. Notice that this storyline is very much about me and I. It kind of loses the we are all in this together. It goes really into just me. Creation, Eden, is, is now like this, I existed as my true self. Like, I was born and I, I kind of, I, I had my, the inner child, like, I was clean when I came in the world, but, but the outside world corrupted me. So I, I can't go much into teaching this, but this is the basics. Then the fall is like the traumatic event that happened or when binding commitments came on your life. Seriously, like anything. Like you have to grow up and become an adult. That scene is like, oh no, my inner child's being corrupted by these outer systems and these... Or, or like the tra- traumatic event, you know, that, that I was clean and then ah, I got abused or something happened and something outside. And that's partly true. Some of it, you know, there's like little bits of truth in it. So sin, this is interesting. Sin is anything that gets in the way of me getting happiness and pleasure. Anything. In fact, anything hard. Anything difficult in your life, like you have to have a hard conversation with somebody. Oh, that's not. This is how this is a storyline that's shaping us for real. And if you if you don't believe me, look at look at the younger generation. 
it's really shaping them. Generally speaking, my younger people are not shaped by this. They are. The gap year students are biblical worldview people. Come on. Anything hard. Anything, any commitment that, that keeps you from expressing yourself and finding pleasure is a sin. It's, it's a part of this fallen world. So, so it even goes as far as like traditional marriage. Nothing should tell you that you, you can only find love between two people. Nothing. Should, you should be able to break that commitment and go somewhere else if that's what's true for you. You've got to search your feelings and you'll find what's true. So sin is anything hard or anything that gets in the way. It's these binding commitments. These, these systems that are, are ruining my self-expression. And th- this, is what's, this is what's happening here. In, in, and not just in one community, but all communities. This is the, the narrative that's over San Francisco. It's over America. And the end goal is living without any... Ex- oh, salvation, sorry. Salvation is rediscovering my true self, getting back in touch with my inner child. This is like my job. It's stressing me out. I've been working here for 10 years. I don't know who I am anymore. I'm going to quit. I'm going to go out into the wilderness, go camping, get in touch with myself. Find myself. Man, I bet you guys have friends that went off and did this. They got into their, like, their Jeep or something. I don't know. I, they went off and, and they're trying to find themselves. Like, you know. <laughs> it's funny, but it's sad. This is sad. And the end goal is, is um, living without any external demands that hinder me from expressing my true self and receiving happiness and pleasure. So this, it's important to know the story that you're living under and how it's shaping you because we've got to repent from this. We've got to repent from searching inward and we've got to repent from this story. And repent is a good word. It's the changing my mind word. It's not, you sinner, repent, which... Repentance is like, thank you, God. I'm invited higher to changing my mind and becoming closer to you and to, to truth. So what is the story you're living under? What's the narrative of your life individually? What is God saying? What's the st- what character are you? What story are you in? You're in his biblical story, but what? And then for uh, the sanctuary church, what's your story? What's, what's the story of uh, sanctuary church? What story can you tell about Sanctuary Church? When, when people are asking you about the church, do you describe the, the location, the place, which is good, or do you describe the story? Oh, you know, find a way to, to present the church in like a story. Real quick, you know, two-minute story. What's the story of Radiant, uh, sorry, Sanctuary? <laughs> and, then, and then what's the story of San Francisco? Find out, do some research about San Francisco, the history of San Francisco. I think we honor San Francisco. What, what are the cool things about the history? What's the story? What's, how can you look at it and be like, God, you were totally at work, and this is what you were doing, and this hindered it, this hindered it. I, I don't know. I'd look at the old uh, history of San Francisco. It's funny. I, I came here, and I brought a bunch of old pictures of San Francisco. I didn't know I was going to do that. Somebody was like, hey, can you bring all these pictures of Tom? And it was like this whole library of <laughs> photos. And uh, Tom, you're going to hang them on the wall? That's so cool. You're going to look at the, you're going to be reminded of my sermon now because they're going to be on the wall and you're like, what's the story of San Francisco? Look at these old pictures, you know? Okay. I went really long. This happens all the time. Tom, how much time do we have?
20? Oh, gosh. Okay. Yeah, we got to pray now. So, hey, well, that was a good sermon, huh? That's great. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, um, this is why I came. I, I get lost in my own sermon. It happens to everyone. Preachers, they apologize all the time. They do it and ask for forgiveness later. Okay. Um, so what I wanted to do uh, was I did just want to, uh, before we left, I wanted to pray over you guys. And Chloe had this wonderful idea that she learned in this prayer that she learned from YWAM when she was there. It's called the Original Design Prayer. And you just simply ask God as you pray for someone, well, how did you make them, Lord? And then, and then we give you some prophetic pictures. And some of those little whispers write down your journal. Some of them might be, you know, our own, you know, we missed it. We're just, we, we thought of something. We thought it was cool. But God might be in it, you know. So, so journal it. Pray about it. 